This is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It is Wednesday, the third day of January 2024. Amazing how fast time travels. I just think 2024. And and I remember, well, I remember back in the 80s, you know, when 2000 was still 15, 20 years away. And that was the far future. <laughs> um, 2000 had always been the, 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 the future growing up. Um, thinking about, uh, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey, all of that. We were going to have moon bases and space stations and all of that stuff by the year 2000. You know, flying cars and uh, all the things that... Uh, they promised us <laughs> would come in the future robots to do all our housework so we wouldn't have to as i look at my floor that needs vacuuming <laughs> you know having well, of course you can't get a Roomba i don't have one but uh, i don't, i've not seen them do that good of a job they seem to be great best for cats to ride around on um but yeah you know so 2000 was a long time in the future there was a there was a great technology show out of Australia that the Discovery Channel had purchased and had they they had an American host for the segments but they were produced in Australia but they were just a great show about technology and that was a great show but it was it was beyond 2000 it was what's the future going to be like and of course, you know, in the eighties, we were just getting personal computers in our houses and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, long before smartphones and iTunes and all of the things, streaming services that, that we take for granted now. And, you know, then, and so looking forward to, you know, I spent, well, I was 35 in 2000. So I spent the first 35 years of my life looking forward to 2000. And now that was 25 years ago, 24 years ago. Um, and I just, it, it's a blink of an eye. It is the blink of an eye. I mean, it was just, and I know <laughs> there are a lot of people out there, you know, everybody who's under 25 who doesn't even remember that. Um, and and that just is is stunning to me. Um, I know at the beginning of the new year, I guess I'm thinking about the fact that this is a new year and and uh, time ha- is passing and passing rapidly. Um, you know, not to you know state the obvious, but I get older every year, and it, it seems like every year is shorter than the one before. So I'm getting older faster and faster and faster. Um, 
And, and, you know, I'm at that age where there is barring some miraculous event, <laughs> um, you know, or, or some amazing new medical technology being developed or this, that, or the other thing, there's fewer days in front of me than there are behind me. And I don't think about that every day, but uh, it just occurred to me now as I was reading the date, 2024, as we embark on this new year. Um, as my, my grandnephew, one of my grandnephews, just turned one year old. You know, my granddaughter's two and a half coming up on three. Oh, man. It's it just phenomenal. All right, this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to Scripture, theology, history, current events, and anything else I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. on Twitter X, <laughs> Facebook, and Rumble. I, I still call it Twitter, and and I know it's technically X now, but it, it it's Twitter, and and posts on it are tweets. Um, it, it just it, it worked. I I think you know as as much as much as I admire Elon Musk for the admirable things. There are things about Elon Musk that are not admirable, and we all know that. But for the admirable things that I admire him for, um, and and everything he's done for Twitter, as far as the free speech and stuff, and Twitter, Twitter was my first social media account, and Twitter is still my main social media account. I I check Twitter much more often than I check Facebook. And I check Facebook much more often than I check Gab or Gitter or Truth Social. Hardly ever on Truth Social. Um, just basically, I have no interactions there at all. I have a few interactions on Gitter, a few more on Gab, where I have you know people that I interact with on on some sort of regular basis. Um, Twi uh, Facebook is mostly keeping up with family and friends. Um, what, what are, what are these people doing? I, I, I don't tend to post a lot to Facebook. Um, it's just, I, I never, never liked it in the first place and, and don't really care for it much now. And then, you know, but most of the time, if you want to interact with me, the place to find me is Twitter and it's, uh, at Shinar Squirrel is, uh, my Twitter handle. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, that's great. There is also a Squirrel Chatter podcast Twitter feed, which is nothing more than podcast-related stuff. Um, so, you know, the the video is streamed to both my account and the Squirrel Chatter account. And then if I'm, you know, taking some time off for some reason or whatnot, the, any, any kind of announcements of that sort, that will be done on both Twitter accounts, but I don't post things on um, the Squirrel Chatter Twitter account very much, but if you just want a convenient place where it's just, just the podcast, that's the one to go to. All right. 
Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com, check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there, and you'll find something worth listening to. Mm. All right, what do we got coming up today? We have scripture readings. We have our prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. And our study Bible level Bible study resumes. We're looking at Deuteronomy chapter 22. We are picking up in verse 13. I do not know how uh, how uh, far we're going to get. The, the last half of 22 has some hot stuff in it. And so we will figure out how that is going to work as we go forward there. All right, let us now then begin with our prayer of confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture reading today is going to be Genesis 16 and Psalm 16. So now, Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian servant woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, Yahweh has shut my womb from bearing children. Please go into my servant woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, and after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant woman, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. Then she saw that she had conceived, so her mistress became contemptible in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the violence done to me be upon you. I gave my servant woman into your embrace, but she saw that she had conceived, so I became contemptible in her sight. May Yahweh judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant woman is in your hand. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai afflicted her, and she fled from her presence. 
Now the angel of Yahweh found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's servant woman, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of Yahweh said to her, Return to your mistress and humble yourself under her hands. Moreover, the angel of Yahweh said to her, I will greatly multiply your seed so that they will be too many to be counted. And the angel of Yahweh said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because Yahweh has heard your affliction. And he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will dwell in the face of all his brothers. Then she called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her, You are a God who sees, for she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Berlahoyo, meaning it is between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Now Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, Psalm 16, as I navigate over to the book of Psalms, Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Keep me, O God, for I take refuge in you. O my soul, you have said to Yahweh, you are my Lord, I have no good without you. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The pains of those who have bartered for another god will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. Yahweh is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasing places. Indeed, my inheritance is beautiful to me. I will bless Yahweh who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set Yahweh continually before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not forsake my soul to Sheol. You will not give your Holy One over to see corruption. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. This is the word of the Lord. And now, our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. Today's devotion is Using Wealth Wisely. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew six nineteen through 21 Dr. MacArthur writes, There is a great potential for your possessions to become idols when you accumulate them for yourself. But possessions that are wisely, willingly, and generously used for kingdom purposes can be a means of accumulating heavenly possessions. 
When they are hoarded and stored, they not only become a spiritual hindrance, but also are subject to loss through moth, rust, and thieves. In ancient times, wealth was frequently measured in part by clothing. The best clothes were made of wool, which the moths loved to eat. Wealth was also often held in grain. The Greek word for rust means an eating. That's the application here, since grain was often ruined by rats, mice, worms, and insects. Also, almost any kind of wealth can be stolen. Many people in those days buried their non-perishable valuables in the ground, away from the house, often in a field. Nothing we own is completely safe from destruction or theft. But when our time, energy, and possessions are used to serve others and to further the Lord's work, they build up heavenly resources that are completely free from destruction or theft. Make sure you are living by this principle. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Ask yourself, how many of your worries revolve around financial issues? What kind of stress and strain does this place on your mind and spirit, whether your problem involves being anxious about the prospects of the money you have or anxious about the money you don't have? Good word this morning about wealth and property. All right. That brings us to our study Bible level Bible study of Deuteronomy. We are in chapter 21. We're picking up in verse 13. And uh, this is, um, as I said, there's some hot stuff in here today. And the reason it's timely is the fact that we live in a world that has become more and more saturated with sexual immorality. Sexual immorality has always existed, but it has become... I think it's always existed, it's always been virtually commonplace. But it has become in our society, um, and ours is not the first society that this has happened to, but it has become noticeable that our society is accepting of sexual immorality at a level that I never thought possible. And we've talked about, you know, homosexuality and, and transgenderism and all of that, especially on some recent Monday meanderings. Um, so we have this, um, you know, it's, it's noticeable, and we do talk about it, but I think it's also so ubiquitous that we don't notice it that much. What do I mean by that? Just a couple of recent examples. I watched just an absolutely funny romantic comedy. I mean, it was. It was hilarious. It was on uh, Apple Plus, or Apple TV, and it is um, called Ghosted. 
and uh, I don't remember the name of the actress, but the the male protagonist was Chris Evans, and it's just just a funny romantic comedy. But I noted as I watched it that when the couple met, they had sex that first day. You know, instant sparks, love at first sight. And of course, then they broke up and had to get back together. And it was a funny movie, well written, well acted. Um, just a, it was a it was a it's a it's a romantic action comedy. It's a it's a romantic comedy along the lines of True Lies, where there's a spy thriller going on in the background. Um, so it's it's or in the foreground. It's hard to miss. But it's a it's a you know thriller action movie with chase scenes and shootouts and all that stuff, but it's a romantic comedy and it it really was really well done and very enjoyable. But the two main characters slept together on their very first day together. Um, they had they had just met, you know, and you're just like, and and everybody seems to think this is normal. Um, and quite frankly, it is normal. And that's the sad part about it. The other example, another, there was a British science fiction show on Netflix that I watched eight episodes called bodies or body, body or bodies. I'm not sure. Um, 2023 new, new show, eight episodes, British one of the best time travel shows I've watched in a while. And yet it has the almost required these days gay romance, which the show would have been just fine without it. Um, and it's just one of those cases of, Oh no, they're not going there. Yeah. They went there as, as so many shows do these days. And, and it's just this level of um, acceptance, the normalization. Now, I understand that the people that make these TV shows and movies, in, in a lot of cases, it's, I mean, especially in, the, in the, the woke gay relationship aspect of things, they are pushing an agenda. They want to normalize these things, so they normalize them in their films. And those films then have a tendency to normalize them in society at large. And we've seen that. Um, they have an agenda, and don't ever think they don't. Um, if you try to blind yourself to the fact that they have an agenda, you are missing the boat in a big way. So I say all that as a preference to today's Bible study because the passages we are looking at today deal with sexual immorality and deal, quite frankly, with sexual immorality. It's not a new problem. <laughs> this was, you know, Deuteronomy was written some 3,500 years ago, give or take. So, you know, now, I think it was like 14, 1440 BC would have been the Exodus 40 years later. So we're like, you know, the 13, 8, 1390s, 
you know, somewhere in there. And uh, when when God gave this message to Moses, and Moses is then instructing the people of Israel that this is not acceptable behavior. So let me let me read this, and uh, I'll I'll I'm going to read it in parts, and then we'll, we'll discuss the parts, and then we'll move on to the next part. So, Deuteronomy chapter 22, beginning in verse 13. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then turns against her and charges her with shameful deeds and brings forth against her a bad name and says, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. Then the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. Then the girl's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as a wife, but he turned against her. And behold, he has charged her with shameful deeds, saying, I did not find your daughter a virgin. But this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. So the elders of that city shall take the man and chastise him, and they shall fine him one hundred shekels of silver, and give it to the girl's father, because he brought forth a bad name against a virgin of Israel, and she shall be his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. So the situation here is that a man marries a young lady, decides, you know, he does not desire to keep her as his wife, and he brings forth a false charge that she was not a virgin on their wedding night. So, first off, this shows the, the prize that is virginity. It is something that is important. It's totally down, down, devalued in today's society. In, in many ways. Um, in, 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 in fact, I would say that virgins are probably looked down on by our society as naive and idealistic and, and certainly no fun, right? Um, but virginity was prized. Virginity was valued. To the point that if a man married a woman and she wasn't a virgin on their wedding night, that was grounds for divorce. And so it was, this was a, you know, he's charging her with something shameful, that she wasn't a virgin. And that's a shameful thing to find, that a, that a young unmarried woman wasn't a virgin on her wedding night. Um... So virginity is important, and it's not anything that we ought to discount. Um, and so this is a, this is an important thing to recall. So he's, he says, "I took her, found out she wasn't a virgin." And then it says here, "The girl's mother and father." shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And it says, 
I gave my daughter to this man because be his wife, and she is he has turned against her. He's charged her with shameful deeds, saying, I did not find your daughter a virgin, but this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. And it says he would spread the garment before the elders of the city. So this would be the bedclothes stained with the maiden blood that uh, would be indication of the girl's virginity. Um, so this is, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's blatant, you know, this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity. So that would have been preserved and it would have been considered evidence because it was an important thing for the family to have proof of the daughter's virginity to show that for the father, especially to say, you know, I have protected my daughter as she was growing up and I have kept her from shameful deeds and I have kept her pure for her husband. And here's the evidence of that. And so having presented that evidence, the elders of the city chastise the man. He gets a dressing down. And they fine him a hundred shekels of silver. A hundred shekels of silver was was a lot of money. Um, uh, it, it, a total fine of about two and a half pounds of silver. A shekel was about uh, uh, just under half an ounce, according to uh, the MacArthur Study Bible's charts. So he had to pay a penalty. It's publicly known now that he lied about his wife. He has to pay a penalty, and he is not allowed to divorce her. Now, this was for the protection of the wife. What do I mean? Okay, she has now been deflowered, so her marriage prospects going forward would be much lower. Not zero, but much lower. I mean, widows remarried. There's all sorts of, you know. Um, but she is, and, and you know, she has been defiled. Um, it was a husband's job to support his wife and family. He must support her. He can never not support her. He cannot divorce her. He must take care of her. And he has to pay a fine to her father because the slight against his bride would also be a slight against the father saying, you know, you let your daughter run wild and I got, I married her and she's not a virgin. But then in verse 20, it says, but if the charge is true that the girl was not found a virgin, then they shall bring out the girl to the doorway of her father's house and the men of her city shall stone her. And she will die because she has committed a disgraceful act in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. That same phrase that we have seen many, many times, thus you shall purge the evil from among you. The fact that this carries a death penalty showed the importance of sexual purity before marriage. That this is an important thing that 
so much so that it carries a death penalty to not be virgin on your wedding night. Now, one thing to back up here. Go back to the the first thing. If any man takes a wife and goes into her and then turns against her. Okay. So I'm picturing a man who uh, had the hots for a girl. You know? And he, he, he wanted her. And the only way to have her was to marry her. But having had her, he lost all interest. This is, I, I would say on the part of the male, a purely sexual attraction. And now he's like, oh, great, what have I done? I've married this girl. I got to get rid of her. But think about that, you know. What if a man marries a young woman whom he loves and it turns out she's not a virgin? He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to tell anybody. He loves this woman. He can keep her and protect her and they can go happily through life and nobody need know anything. Now, her family may know because there's no evidence of virginity in the wedding bed. But, you know, they don't have to say anything. He didn't say anything. They don't say anything. Love covers a multitude of sins. There is no requirement for the young man to come forth and declare that his wife wasn't a virgin. Now, if he truly loves her, you know, there is a, and and she loves him, there's the possibility he already knew. Um, Let's be realistic. She may not be a virgin because of him. (laughs) You know, um, teenagers then and now, not much different. But there's no need for her, for him to say anything. He doesn't have to turn against her. There's no requirement for that here. But if he does, and the evidence is brought forth and it shows that she is a virgin, then he has to be pay a fine and he can't divorce her. But if the charge is true and the girl is not found a virgin, it carries a death penalty because she committed a disgraceful act in Israel by playing the harlot in her father's house. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. And I think also we would have the case where the young man um, was not the cause of the, was not the reason why the particular girl was not a virgin on her wedding night. He found out it was somebody else. Um, She had been lied to, you know, so that might be, it might even be a case of a person who was, you know, where the, the girl was a harlot and he found out on the wedding night. Um, and he could have been, you know, totally soul crushed by this. Um, but yeah, this, this is a disgraceful act in Israel. She played a harlot in her father's house. She disgraced her father. She disgraced her family. She disgraced herself. She disgraced her husband. And the penalty was death. So you shall purge the evil from among you. 
because it's supposed to be, this is a deterrent. This is going to get people's attention. Now we turn to cases of um, fornication and rape. Listen to this. And adultery. If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. So if a, a man is sleeping with a married woman, both of them are to be put to death because adultery is a crime. It is an abomination to God. It is evil. And so the word gets out, hey, don't mess with another man's wife. And the word gets out, wives, don't mess around. You know, um, the, the story in the pericope adultery of the woman caught in adultery um, you know, the, the interesting thing is that in, according to the story, which we can go into at another time was, was, is not original scripture. There's no, there is no doubt <laughs> there. There's not even a question as to whether or not the pericope adultery was originally in the gospel of John. It wasn't, but it is noticeable that in that story, these Pharisees who bring the poor woman caught in adultery before Jesus to be stoned didn't bring the guy. What does this say? If a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. So when you read the pericope adultery, I said, where's the guy? They let the guy go? And yet they're supposed to be sticklers for the law? They weren't. So then, in verse 23, we, we go to premarital sex. And also rape. And that's something that, that we need to make a distinction of here. This is an important passage. If there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man, and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and and stone them, and they will die, the girl because she did not cry out in the city, and the man because he has violated his neighbor's wife. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. So even an engaged woman you know, was considered bound. And so if a man lay with a woman who was engaged to another man, betrothed, then that was adultery, and both of them were to be put to death. Now, notice the phrase, because she did not cry out in the city. So the, the connotation here is this happens in the city, meaning there are people around. Now, remember, the, these, these ancient cities were built long before automobiles, <laughs> Everything was in walking distance. The houses were closer together, etc. Even, I mean, go to old neighborhoods in America prior to 1920, and the houses are close together. You don't have vast space between the houses. You you drive, you know, through a suburb today, and and in a lot of places, you could play a baseball game. 
between the houses. Um, even if you, even then, you know, even if they're quote unquote close together, they're pretty spread out. Whereas you go back and look, I think about the, the university district in Missoula, um, one of the most beautiful old districts of houses in town. And yet the houses are, if there's five feet between houses, it, it, it it's a lot, you know, <laughs> they're, they're close together. You know, there's six or eight on one side of a block. Um, and that's spread out from a city like this. You know, in this city, the houses were very close together. If someone cried out in the city, someone else would hear. And so the fact that she did not cry out says that this is not a rape. Because had she cried out, someone would have heard and come to her rescue. Um, and so this is a consensual act. And that's very important. The next verse says, if, a, if in the field the man finds the girl who is engaged and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lies with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the girl, for there is no sin in the girl worthy of death. For just as a man rises against his neighbor and murders him, so is this case. When he found her in the field, the engaged girl cried out, but there was no one to save her. So here, because it happened in the field, where there weren't people around, and, and the, the field doesn't just mean a plowed field. I mean, you know, out in the, you know, field and stream sort of thing. <laughs> out in the outside of the city where there weren't people around, said, you you assume she cried out because you have no evidence that she didn't. And so only the man would be killed. Now, understand this. This right here establishes the death penalty for rape. And that's important to understand as we read the next paragraph. Because the next paragraph is often thrown out by anti-Christians as evidence that this is a horrible thing. It says, If a man finds a girl who is a virgin, who is not engaged, and seizes her and lies with her, and they are found, then the man who lay with her shall give the girl's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall become his wife. Because he has violated her, he cannot divorce her all the all her days. So this is not a case of rape. Now I know it says he seizes her and lies with her. It, it's it's not referring to a violent attack. This is a consensual um, act. Because if it was rape, it would be a death penalty. So this is a man who seduces a girl, who isn't married, who isn't engaged. And, okay, he has to pay a fine, and he has to marry the girl, and he cannot divorce her. This is, again, a case of, you know... You, 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 
you can't have your way with young unmarried girls with impunity. If you seduce a young lady and she's not engaged to be married, then you have to marry her because you have violated her. You have taken what wasn't yours, which is her virginity. That was that belongs to her husband. And you were not her husband, so now you must become her husband. And again, you can't divorce her, which goes back to, to there in verse 19, where the man couldn't divorce the woman he lied about. Here, he can't divorce this woman either. And again, that was for her protection. Um, a lot of people, oh, you're just trapping this poor woman in a loveless marriage. Uh, different times, folks. Different attitudes, different beliefs. Um, this was for her protection. So very important to remember. Then verse 30, we'll just finish it up, finish the chapter. A man shall not take his father's wife so that he will not uncover his father's skirt. This is a prohibition. It says his father's wife. It's not saying his mother. So it's not, in that case, a direct incest. This is... This would be a stepmother. Um, a man is not to lie with his father's wife. Um, it's just a, a, a very important prohibition there. Um, you know, it's just one of these things. There, there are bounds of decency, and this goes beyond that. And the reason is that this is. You know, the, the, a man shouldn't sleep with a woman his father has slept with. And the, the converse is true, too. There's, there's regulation elsewhere that says that a man should not sleep with a mother and her daughter. Um, there's just a, it, it's not proper. Um, and so, you know, this is, this is something to, to keep in mind now, you know, Leviticus 18, 6 through 8, the whole prohibition against incest. So that's not this. This is a step relationship. Okay, so here are all these things about sexual immorality and, and the attitudes that godly people should have towards sex. We need to get back to teaching. This isn't purity culture. Uh, I, I, that that whole one of the one of the biggest problems of purity culture was it was legalism, um, and and you know the the it really wasn't um, wasn't as developed as it should have been. Um, but it wasn't all bad either. And saving yourself for marriage is biblical. Um, but there ought to be instruction on purity and all these other things about, um, you know, why. And remember, marriage is 
a picture of Christ in the church. And that's why worshiping of false gods is considered spiritual adultery. It's violating the the marriage between God and his people. So this is an important thing to remember. Purity is important. Um and 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 so so maintaining purity before marriage and maintaining faithfulness in marriage is required by God's word. And that we live in a society that has totally totally discounted that and it's something that we in the church you know and are we going to get flack for it of course if if we stand for sexual purity before marriage and faithfulness in marriage are we going to be lambasted by a society where everybody's sleeping with everybody of course you know and a, a lot of the you know, criticism of purity culture is coming out of that. Now, one of the things that as I've gotten older and older and older that I have become more and more convinced of is that young people are waiting way too long to get married. They're, they're, you know, and that's one of the reasons why we have so much immorality is the fact that, you know, they're not getting married right out of high school when they're young and full of vim and vigor. And so because they're young and full of vim and vigor, they start messing around. And of course they start messing around in high school. But you look at, at old Testament times and even new Testament times, you know, Mary was probably no older than 15, maybe 16, when Christ was born, when she married Joseph. And he was probably only a couple of years older than she was. A man had to be established in a trade and able to support a wife before he could wed. Um, but even then, we weren't talking 30, 35 we're talking, you know, 16, 17, where a man could support his wife. And so, you know, girls were getting married 14, 15, 16 years old. Guys were getting married 16, 17, 18 years old. Not 30. Not 35. And, you know, that's... You know, as, as I believe it was John MacArthur, at least that I first heard it from, you know, puberty is God's way of saying it's time to start thinking about marriage. And we have extended childhood so far that, you know, young people ought to be getting married younger. Don't wait. You know, find a guy, find a gal get married, have many beautiful children, raise them in the church. Um, 
It, it's important. It's very important. And it, it's important to understand these things before getting married. Um, but we have a society that undermines all this, which is why it's even more important to teach a solid biblical foundation for sexual morality. It needs to be instructed to our young people starting, you know, junior high level um, from the parents and from the church. So, you know, this is, this is something that is very important and, and parents need to be involved in the, the youth education, religious education at the church. They need to know what's being taught and they need to, to be on board with it. And, and these things need to be emphasized, not, you know, but I, I, does our society look down on it? Of course there was a, um, the new speaker of the house, Mike Johnson, you know, there was a newspaper report that came out last week, newspaper, you know, some sort of liberal media, mainstream media. There was a, a report that came out that there was just shocked that, that he had his daughter, you know, sign a written promise to be a virgin on her wedding night. It's a good Christian father emphasizing these things with his children, teaching these things, you know, because not being a virgin on your wedding night is a sin. <laughs> and, and it was, it was evil. You're supposed to purge the evil from among you. If the, the young girl is not a virgin, but again, you know, I said it, it's, it's a society that we live in that is just in the face of God on these things. One of the interesting things is, as I read passages on sexual morality in the Bible, over and over and over again, the Bible uses an individual's and a society's acceptance of sexual immorality as a barometer that indicates their level of rebellion against God. A low acceptance of sexual immorality means that there is a low level of rebellion against God. But if sexual immorality is accepted across the board, that is an indication that there is a high level of rebellion against God. It's a barometer sin. It's the sin we can look at and say, this is where the level of rebellion is. So, you know, you look at our society and you can't help but come to the conclusion that this is a world that is in gross rebellion against God and all the indicators are there. And, you know, it's not just the United States, it's the entire world, you know, and, and this has always been an indicator of that. So it's important to, to look at verses like we've looked at today 
and think about these things because this is a plague upon our society and the sexual immorality is evil. So pornography, fornication, you know, it's the, the whole hookup culture. It's, it's evil. And, and I know as, as we have a society that doesn't like to think in terms of good and evil, but it is evil. So, you know, purity before marriage, faithfulness in marriage. So important. Um, I mean, it's, it's God's standard for everybody, but it's so important for his people. Now, having said that, sexual immorality is not the unforgivable sin. That, you know, this is, it wasn't the unforgivable sin then, it isn't the unforgivable sin now. Um, but if you repent of it, your attitude towards it will change. And, and I, I, I know young men and women who have changed their attitude that, uh, you know, and that's that's the way of it. I'm one of them. I had a horrible attitude towards sexual morality when I was young. And it led to heartaches and other problems. And and I I it's not something I like to talk about, but it's who I was. And so I'm, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I'm, as, as, uh, the, I've, I've said more than once that all of God's laws, all of the thou shall nots that are in the Bible can really be phrased as don't touch the hot stove. When you tell a toddler not to touch the hot stove, it's not because you know how fun hot stoves are and you're trying to keep them from having a good time. And and that's the way it is with all of God's provisions. It's not that God knows how much fun it is and he's just trying to keep us from it. Of course God knows how much fun it is. He created it. And it's supposed to be fun between a husband and a wife. And it brings great joy to a marriage. But right time and place. So purity before marriage, faithfulness in marriage, very important. Can't stress it enough. All right, let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The Colic for the First Sunday of Christmas. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light, kindled in our hearts, may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord, 
who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And for grace, O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us safely to the beginning of this day. Defend us by your mighty power that we may not fall into sin nor run into any danger, and that guided by your Spirit we may do what is righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And for the unrepentant, we pray. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter today. A little bit heavier than normal, but a heavy topic needed to be talked about um, as we continue to go through God's Word. Tomorrow's Thursday. we got Theology Thursday coming up, and then Federalist Friday is coming up on Friday, as this is our first full week of, of uh, Squirrel Chatter in the new year. And getting back to to our schedule in everything as we continue to march on. So as you go through the day, do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.